give me a moment's peace and take out the trash. We pay taxes for people to come and take the garbage. Hey, listen, Greeny, no more sneaking rides to the junkyard. Yeah, man, take a taxi when you want to go to the junkyard. Hello and welcome to Hot Trash Unlimited, the show where me, Caleb, and me, Joe, seek out movies of various quality to decide whether or not they are hot trash. Varying degrees of quality, I think is the correct phrasing. Well, you know, it's been a minute since we've done this. Yeah. So. We are starting a brand new series, which I think only makes sense to me. Do you, do you get what we're doing here? Yeah, we're doing childhood books that we read that got uh, less than stellar adaptions. Yes. Okay. Specifically, I think where I was going with it was like they were trying to go for franchises and it didn't and it just work. Didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. And there, we have a lot to choose from that we could do. But uh, we're gonna start out with one that we were gonna have be our finale, but we could not find any of the other movies on easily accessible streaming platforms. Yeah. So we we decided to go with this one. Surprise, surprise! A bunch of two thousands movies with uh, mediocre reception <laughs> of varying degrees of quality. Yeah. Yeah, aren't uh, broadcast, but this is one where there actually is a fair amount of people who like it. Joe, what did we watch today? Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief, directed by Christopher Columbus in 2010. We've been expecting you. What's going on? The gods are real. You're half mortal, half god. My father's Poseidon. God of the seas. Your blood is special. This February. Why am I here? Zeus's bolt is the most powerful weapon ever created. It's been stolen. Everyone thinks you're the lightning thief. I didn't steal it. Lines will be drawn. If it's not returned by the summer solstice, there will be a war. And those with powers. All demigods have inherited skills. Must stand and fight. So, Joe, what was your first exposure to the Percy Jackson franchise? When I was younger, I don't know how this happened, but there was a summer book reading thing that Barnes & Noble did. If you read multiple books and you checked them off, you got to get a free book from Barnes & Noble of like a list. And I got Lightning Thief. Not knowing what it was, just picked it out randomly. And yeah, I love this series. Yeah. I love that series so much. Someone recommended that to me at one point, some adult who their kid had read it and they thought I would enjoy it. But I couldn't remember the name of it, so I never could read it. Then one day I went to the Nashville Public Library, and do you remember Playaways? Yeah. They were little uh, MP3 players with an audiobook loaded on. And so we were going on a trip, so I was going to pick one out, and I saw the cover to the fourth book, Battle of the Labyrinth, and I was like, that's a cool cover. Didn't pay attention to the number four on there. <laughs> and so I listened to it. All the books do a good job of, if this is someone's first Percy Jackson book, then, they catch they get everybody up to speed. Yeah. So after that, I jumped to Lightning Thief and then read my way through the series. Obviously, uh, the sequel series as well, although I fell off. I haven't kept up with his continuous stuff. Uh, there's been like four sequel series since then. Yeah, yeah. And I, I never got into the King Chronicles either. See, I read that one. I wasn't a fan of that. But uh, if I went back and read, I could probably point out a multitude of problems with it. But I liked it. I would say overall, though, the Percy Jackson series really holds up. Yes, it's very solid. Yeah. And very prime for an adaptation. It, it, it screams for one. The amount of like quotes on the back of those books being the next Harry Potter. Like, yeah. And a lot the, of people. Every, yeah. This was like screaming for an adaption with the way that things have gone with J.K. Rowling, but also just with the quality of Harry Potter. Potter stuff that has come out. A lot of people think that this is better than Harry Potter. Mm. I'm not sure I'd go that Harry far. Harry Potter kind of has like this timelessness to it, even though it is very much like 90s. 
it oh it, yeah it the, has like a kind of timelessness to it the percy jackson books are set in the 2000s yeah. they're making jokes about hillary duff and all that kind of stuff yeah which i think adds to the charm of the books but definitely yeah you don't get the uh the timelessness of harry potter mm-hmm. but i definitely think as a franchise it has lasted better and maybe that's because this failed and the sequel failed and so we didn't get subpar movies out of it Can you imagine if we kept getting movies set like with three years in between well, I thought about that because Percy gets a hellhound at one point in the series and the hellhounds in this look terrifying. Like not in the way the hellhound should, just in the, it's like, oh, those are ugly. Imagine if he was riding around on one of those for the sequels. But yeah, so Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, it is about a kid. And the Olympians, the Lightning Thief. Yes. It's about a kid who learns that he is the son of Poseidon and that there is a camp for demigods like him. This is also all caught up when Zeus's lightning bolt has disappeared and people uh, suspect that he has done it. My knowledge of the book is going to cloud what happens in the movie because I would just accidentally slip into the book synopsis. Okay, you probably know the book a little better than I do because it's been a very long time since I read the book. And I've probably seen the more movie more times in recent years than I've read the book. Well, the big difference is that in the book, he gets a prophecy that sends him on the quest, but everyone thinks that Hades is the one to have stolen the lightning. Bolt. Yes. In this, it's clear from the beginning that Hades hasn't stolen it. He just he's wants looking it. for it. Yeah. yeah. And he thinks Percy has it. Yeah. And so in the book, it's a road trip to LA where the underworld is. And this, they're getting pearls. It's a fetch quest. Yeah. It's a fetch quest to go to LA to get out of the underworld after they go there. Yeah. I actually want to kind of structure this like our other podcasts, All New 52, because. You know, I didn't like this movie when it came out. I never watched it again. I thought maybe I would I would hit on it today and I'd enjoy it more. I didn't. I still don't like this movie. <laughs> okay. So I but I wanna I wanna make sure that you get all your positives in here because you do you still enjoy this movie? Yeah, it's still decent. Okay. It's was, a bad adaption, but it's not like a bad movie. <laughs> so let's just start off with positives. Yeah. Um Okay, everybody's cast way too old in this movie, which is fine. Like I disagree. <laughs> the amount the amount of kids that you have to hit gold with to like be good actors <laughs> i'm fine with people well, you aging okay. them up just a little bit they hit absolutely zero of them in the first harry potter it's just the kids kept acting and so they got good but you go back to the first harry potter movies none of those three kids are good ah, Radcliffe's all right i'd say the only one who's good is draco yes <laughs> he's, it's ham. He, he's it's great ham. yeah he's great for moment one <laughs> And I'm sure like Neville's fine and stuff, but like I don't think I don't think any of the main trio is good. It didn't bother me too much when even when I was a kid, when you know I was super nitpicky about the things I didn't like with this movie back then. And it really didn't bother me too much that they were a little bit older. Yeah. That being said, Logan Lerman has the look for Percy, and I think he does an okay-ish enough job, but he also just looks surprised at every line that comes out of his mouth. And then the adults, I love all the adult casting for the most part. I have problems with a lot of the primary characters, though. Yeah, I would say the best of the three, because I don't like Alexander Daddario. No. I don't like her in anything. Logan Lerman's a good actor in other things. Here, I just... He has moments where he's fine. Mm-hmm. I just feel like the character is underdeveloped. Yeah. And he doesn't react to things that extensively. Like when he finds he's just out, surprised. When he thinks his mom is has died, he acts like 
a guy who like accidentally lost one of his AirPods. He's literally like, oh man, like definitely upset, but like he'll get over it in a couple days. Uh-huh. And I don't really think that's his problem. I think that's a larger problem that we'll get into. Yeah, it's a riding and direction problem. Yeah, but um, Brandon T. Jackson as Grover, I think is really fun. Completely different yeah. way of doing Grover. I like but, him a lot, but he's completely different, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. Because they like, went in just a completely different direction with yeah. it. They didn't try to make him like the book version. And like, is everything he says funny? No. But I feel like he's constantly doing his best with the material. It's charming. Yeah. Every time he hits someone with crutches, I laugh. It's great. And Joe Pantoliano is Gabe. That's perfect, perfect casting. casting. <laughs> so does Pierce Brosnan as Chiron. Yeah, he's pretty good. I do think that's one of the parts where the movie just looks awkward. And it's mm. like, man. I don't think a good movie could do this any better, but centaurs are just kind of awkward to, <laughs> yeah, they're awkward creatures. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, and that's another positive I have. The effects, for the most part, pretty good. Holds up pretty well. There's a couple moments where it's like, mm, this green screen's looking very green. But other than that, like when they're fighting monsters, pretty good stuff. I think especially the finale is pretty decent looking. Um, it's all right. That's one of the moments where I'm like, okay, this is looking a little too soundstagey. Like where they're flying through the buildings and stuff. Yeah. It's just every, all the flying stuff. I, I don't felt, think looks great. I felt that was like on par with the Spider-Man movies and stuff. Yeah. I mean, like it's fine. It's just the Spider-Man movies have the added layer of they can create a model mm-hmm. and they weren't doing that for a lot because a lot of these shots were much closer up. So yeah. they weren't, thank goodness they weren't doing a close up of like a model of Logan Learman. And then at the very beginning when Poseidon's big. And at the end, when all the gods are big, that stuff doesn't look great. But, yeah. you know, I, that's nitpicking. Which that should be such an easy effect to get right. <laughs> like, they've been doing that. I think for- it's just a scale thing. Like, it's like getting the scale to look proper. Mm-hmm. Like, when you have tiny Logan Lerman and tiny Alexander Daddario on these big steps and you don't have, like, a point of reference, I think that's when it looks weird. Yeah. Is that, like, the, the reference points are off. Once we get moving in this movie, I think there are a couple decisions that do work relocating from St. Louis to Nashville. And of course, we're from Nashville, so represent. I always kind of resented this when I was a kid because I'm like, that's not what Nashville's like. Now I just think it's funny. Yeah, it's great. Um, But specifically, I think the Hydra fight works in a way that the Hydra fight in the second book, it's better than that. And it's better than the Chimera fight in, or it might not be the Chimera, whichever monster they fight at the I, top I of the I don't like arch. the fight that's in the arch. Yeah. Like it's very, the whole arch sequence is very bad. I just, I don't like it. It's like, oh, we're in the arch. Now we're on the ground. Yeah. And we found out more about Percy. That's yeah. all that, that's and, all that location is there to be for. And Annabeth, there's actually a lot of information that they give in that chapter of the book, but a lot of it is not information that this movie is interested in. Mm-hmm. And then the other decision that I think is good, I do think that is a decent finale, him fighting Luke. The book doesn't really have a finale. He fights Ares, but mm-hmm. even then there's so much in between that and him giving the thing to Zeus. Honestly, Percy in the book, and I, I really enjoy this about the book, he solves his problem by talking it through. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have that in this movie because there isn't the larger threat of Kronos. So like having turning it into like a superhero style action movie, you get some decent shots in there of him using the powers. I think it's a it's a well choreographed sequence. I think it works for the most part. I also like Luke. The casting was there. Just the everything else about it <laughs> was not. I think he's a little a little too blatantly rebellious at the beginning. I don't think that's his fault. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's definitely the right. Yeah, I see him and I'm like, yes, that's kind of what I imagine Luke to look like. He yeah. looks like the older brother type. Yeah, I could totally buy him. The older cool brother. Yeah, as a person that all these people look up. Mm-hmm. To. 
but he is from the very beginning being like, camp's lame, my dudes. Let's play modern warfare. (laughs) So those are my big positives. Anything else from you? This movie just has like a good like road trip vibe to it. In all of its shortcomings, it is like a well-paced adventure kind of thing. It's like, let's go to all these different locations. Maybe we are changing a lot of stuff from it, but like we're, we're working with what we got and it's fun for the most part. Like, and whenever, whenever when someone has to ham and oh, the ham is great. Uma Thurman is Medusa. That's perfect. <laughs> so my biggest problem with this movie, I think is that it seems like for the longest time, I think it eventually slows down, but for the longest time, it's speed running everything. And this isn't even a perspective of this is what it's like in the book. It's just like they're from one location to the other, to the other, to the other. You never really get a good sense of Percy's life just being him. You Mm -hmm. get very little downtime with him in his regular life. So when it turns topsy-turvy, there isn't like that shift that you get with the characters as they cross the threshold in a story. And then I also don't feel like they established the camp that well. That's my biggest problem. When I was younger reading those books, I wanted to go to Camp Half-Blood so bad. It is so lame in these movies. Yeah. It is the most like medieval, like we got all the props from the Warner Brothers soundstage. Let's use them. And it doesn't make any sense. One, it's very claustrophobic. I've never been to Long Island, so I'm not sure if it's just all long, tall trees and these cabins with no 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 doors. Yeah, no walls and doors. It's all it's all just like tents. Maybe that's the Long Island aesthetic that good old Rick missed when he was writing the books. But I feel like there is it's too claustrophobic. Everything's too tight. And They're just throwing stuff in there without logic. Like they have other centaurs walking around. They have philosophers walking around. The nymphs. There is a clear logic that places like Hogwarts have, that places like Narnia have in their movies. I'm not even talking about the books Mm -hmm. here. I just think that's lacking here. I don't, the camp doesn't have an identity. I don't know if I'm always harsh on it because I just had a completely different picture of the camp, kind of like a valley almost. Like, sure, there was trees maybe as a surrounding, but it was, it was clear for the most part. There was a hill with like with the lounge, yeah, yeah, the lounge, and then like all the other all the cabins for the houses were somewhat in like a semicircle. I'm pretty sure they even describe it like that. Yeah, like yeah. they're next and, door neighbors to everybody. Yeah, and in the center is the fire where exactly. Hestia sits. They, and, like it's very vivid descriptions of stuff, and you don't you don't get any of that here. You don't get any of the cabins. Percy's dad built him a dock. I guess he sleeps there, but. <laughs> Luke has a completely separate cabin from everyone else. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like you get the identification thing that you get in the book, which is so important to children's literature. Here, which god are you going to identify with? Are you going to be like, oh, I want to be in camp uh, or in cabin? I used to know all the cabin numbers off the top of my head. I think eight is Athena. It's like, oh, I want to be in cabin eight. No, you're not going to be like that because she's the daughter of Athena. That's all you get to know about Mm -hmm. those campers. There's just a lot of fun opportunities to combine this with the modern world. But instead, it is just sword and sandals. Yeah. The most modern thing about it is that Luke's playing Call of Duty. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the modern world. Yeah, it's missing the bridge. It's just, yep, we're just stuck in the whenever Greek was the top of the world. I guess this is what the aesthetic of this place is. And it's it's sad. The, The thing this movie does is it takes a lot of the personality of the books away. Yeah, I feel like it's a rush job. It's a rush job, obviously, in the fact that they thought they would only get one movie because they don't see anything about Kronos. Um, Which I can appreciate, like especially in this day and age of everything's got to set up a franchise in the first movie. I can appreciate that it's like, oh, we're done. We're not we're not trying to get a franchise out of this, even though the title of this movie is a subtitle. <laughs> because I feel like the first book does do a good enough job. Kronos is kind of an afterthought in that book, too, but it's like it's just a seed. And they also cut out the Ares thing in this. I mean, the Ares thing is like the biggest thing. Because they by cutting out Ares, they cut out Clarice and they combine Clarice and Annabeth. 
which is a choice. <laughs> yeah. Annabeth is so unlikable in this. From moment one, she's trying to physically hurt Percy. Mm-hmm. Where I like it much more. Well, I don't want to constantly compare this to the book, but it's hard not to, right? Where like she's trying not to like Percy. But there's no personality. That's the thing. Yeah. Annabeth doesn't have a personality in this. From the moment she's established, I have strong feelings about you. I don't know if they're good or bad. Oh, tell me if they're good or bad. Okay, I'll tell you. And that's it. That's it. That's the extent of her development. Yeah. And I, I yeah, I just think that the law of this is uncreative. You speed run through the first act and then you're on a boring fetch quest. Some of the locations they go to. Really just Nashville, for being honest. Actually, no, I feel I, like the Lotus is I fine. feel like they nail the Lotus. They I don't, nail the Lotus. I don't yeah. think, except for like updating the songs they play mm-hmm. and the aesthetics, I don't think you can do the Lotus better in 2010. No. Even then, it just feels like a diversion. And like, what's the point? What's the point in any of this? And you don't get those. The Lotus is kind of a diversion in the book, too. It is. They just get stuck there. Well, all of them are diversions, but they're diversions that build on the character. Yeah. They go to the arch because Annabeth likes architecture. Mm-hmm. They go to the Lotus because they're running away from the situation that Ares put them in. Like the plot naturally leads them there in the book. In this, it feels much more like point A, point B, point mm-hmm. C. Now we're in the underworld. Yeah. And the underworld feels incredibly rushed too. Mainly just because it's Christian hell. Yeah. This ain't the underworld, guys. As soon as you get to Charon, it's like Charon's the funniest character in that book. Charon, oh, yeah. Charon is a joy in that book. And no, uh, he's just the ghouly ferryman here. All the personality, it's gone. But then they throw it a little back. Like they take all the personality out and then they give Hades some. Yeah. No, Hades, Hades and, and Persephone. Persephone. Yeah. That's where all the personality got sent. Yeah. Now, is it working? No, because Hades is a much less interesting character here because you don't have the twist of him not being the bad guy. Mm-hmm. In this, it's just he is the bad guy. <laughs> That's the twist. <laughs> it's what you thought all along. <laughs> but Rosario Dawson and Steve Coogan are eating this up. Yeah. They're having so much fun. It's great. <laughs> it's an incredibly lame way of like, what's cool? This is a Guitar Hero set that they're in. <laughs> But you know what? 2010 Caleb thought was the coolest thing ever. They were nailing their demographic. Yeah, they they really were. I feel like we've hit on all the big problems with this. They rush into it. The set design throughout is pretty bad. And they just kind of suck the personality out. But there is a sequel to this, one that I haven't seen, but you have. What I've heard from that is that they try to push all that stuff back in. It's so weird. Because they retroactively, they're like, okay, we hear your complaints. Annabeth, she's blonde now. Still doesn't have gray eyes, but she's blonde now. Yeah, which who cares? Like, that's the bottom of the things. We've had this conversation. I feel like when you like, when such attention is drawn in the books, I feel like it's like almost a necessary thing. I mean, Percy has black hair in this and he doesn't like, clearly that didn't bother me, but. Yeah, aesthetic differences don't matter to me as much. Like, did you know in Lord of the Rings, Sauron isn't a big guy? I've never read it. Yeah, and he's I, just. And yeah. I don't like the movies, so. Yeah, yeah, but like, he's just a dude. But one of the most distinctive visuals from those movies is the fact that he's a giant eye on top of mm-hmm. the tower. I think that works for the movies. I clearly don't care about aesthetics. I don't like those movies. Those are seen as good movies. I think that's where, it, since it is a good movie, you can look past some stuff. This is not a good movie. So the stuff that is not similar is drawn more attention to uh, yeah i guess i mean i definitely had that when i was younger I have, too. I have a hard time excusing stuff when it gets so much other stuff wrong like at the same time i guess i'm landing on the hair thing because like i had a person in college at one point who said something really dumb and they were talking about it's like they make mary jane black and she can't have red hair and i won't go see the spider-man movies because mary jane has to have red hair so like that's that's kind of why i scoff at that kind of stuff just because i've seen so many examples of it's like well you were so concerned but then it worked yeah it's it's just a kind of a thing where it's like 
you have this, I hate this word, iconic imagery where it seems like it's such an easy thing to do. Yeah. And it, it seems like, why why would you skip out on something like that? But do you think if they nailed the rest of the character, you would think about that at all? Like if she was 100% from the pages Annabeth in terms of like personality and fighting skill and wisdom and Hair, stuff like that. I probably that. wouldn't care about. The gray eyes it bothers me. It's another aesthetic thing that's very drawn to multiple times in the book. Like piercing gray. They, I mean, Percy has very blue eyes like he does in the books. Like it's like, oh, they got that. Okay. I, I mean, I had that too as a kid. I was mad that Reepicheep was a different color than he was in the books. I just feel like I don't have that as much anymore, especially because I have seen adaptations where they have gotten all that stuff right and I don't care. Yeah. For the most part, all the Harry Potter characters look like they do in the are described in the books. Mm-hmm. I don't like I really don't like the Harry Potter movies because they're boring. It's like the bar of of adaptions for me. And it annoys me when that the easiest stuff that it is to get right. Like if you can't get a right, then why are you even trying? Exactly. If you can't just do this baseline thing of making the people look like they do like how they're described. That's my thing. Anyways. Sea of Monsters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're retroactively, it's like, okay, we're following the books, and then they just throw it away in the third act where they introduce Kronos, and then he's defeated, like, immediately. Mm -hmm. But then they tease another movie. It's bizarre. (laughs) I really wonder, because you talked about how refreshing it was that this just ends. I wonder if you could somehow do it. You make each of the books. Obviously, you couldn't do the fifth book, but you make each of the books, and then you just don't have Kronos be a part of any of it. (laughs) Like, I have no idea how you would do it once you get to the end of the franchise. Well, I mean, they straight up kill Luke in this movie. Like, he gets impaled by a trident and, like... Yeah, but it's like a water trident. I think he could easily survive. And he does. But it is... It's like, well, here's the definitive end to this. It's not like, I'll get you next time, Jackson. Yeah. I mean, I never feel like any of the characters are in danger here, Mm -hmm. which is a little disappointing. I mean, the fight choreography in this is really bad. Yeah. It's really bad stuff. It takes away from the camp stuff even more. What is it about Christopher Columbus? Because I don't think he's a good director, but he's he's made good movies. Did he just get lucky? Did he have other like I looked at the producing stuff. There are a lot of there's a lot of producer crossover from Harry Potter and this. Is it I'm just all the you, they writing? were trying to make it another Harry Potter? Is it just all the writing? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I, I don't hate this movie or anything. Part of that's probably because as a kid I was very disappointed because I was super excited. I remember driving uh, home with my dad and just the entire way, just explaining to him all the differences <laughs> because I felt embarrassed because of this. See, I'm I, no longer there with it now. And now I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's one of a million City of Embers, Spiderwick Chronicles. See, me and, and my carts. sister uh, saw it uh, probably with my dad or something, I would imagine. And we came back and we're like, yeah, this is different. But like, it's still di- like it's it's a bad adaption. But I still think it's a decent enough movie. I wonder when the first movie that I watched where I forgave it for being a different being wildly different from the books and stuff. We only have one other movie in this series that we're doing, unless we had a fifth one. That it's it's, an, it's another one where I'm like, it's a bad adaption, but I think the movie's good. Yeah, which I'm also excited to get to mm-hmm. because I think also there's this thing where it's like once you have another adaptation of something out, like we're getting the Percy Jackson show, we don't mm-hmm. know if it will be good or not. But like once you have another adaptation out, that takes less pressure off of this one. Yeah. You know what it probably was? It probably was Lord of the Rings for me because I read the or I watched the movies before I read the books. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of the inverse where like once I found out about all the changes, once I found out that Tom Bombadil was in the <laughs> in fellowship, you know, I didn't care because I was already in love with the movies. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's kind of the reverse thing where I always hear people it's like, oh, I don't want to read the books before a movie comes out. I'm like, I read I suffer through Dune before I saw the first Dune, just so for the sole fact I was like, I want I just want to see how they do. Yeah, which it's always fun. Mm-hmm. And we will be doing a little bit more of that in our series as we continue on. But is there anything else you'd like to say before we determine this movie's fate 
before we send it to Christian hell, I mean the underworld? No. All right. So is is this hot trash? No, it's way too mediocre to be hot trash. I think it's good. It's probably like a six out of 10 in my book. It is mediocre for the most part, but it's a fun enough time. Yeah, I don't enjoy it. I don't think that there is enough plot or character here for me to get invested. Mostly bored throughout it, but I can see why. Like, I understand why some people might enjoy this movie. I definitely don't hold the ill will towards it that I did when I was younger. I would hope you're past that. <laughs> well, I, I what remember, if like 10-year-old no, you just comes back full force? Well, I remember I wasn't even angry. I was just sad. <laughs> sad and embarrassed. I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm disappointed in you, movie. Yeah, it was a sobering experience for young Caleb. Well, and I guess I'll say this. It's because also that's what made me... The Percy Jackson books are what made me want to be a director <laughs> because I read them. <laughs> I forgot that was your goal was to fix them. Well, it wasn't even to fix them because I came up with my ideas for the movie before the movie came out. Oh, yeah. I just, when I read those books, I realized it's like, oh, man, it would be so cool. And I like storyboarded things out and stuff. And I don't want to be a director now. So maybe it's, uh, maybe I shouldn't like those books as much as I do. But um, I mean, you're a classics major too. That's true. It did, it did definitely push me in some other directions as well. Overall, uh, Percy Jackson books, good. Percy Jackson movie. Yeah. Not as good. <laughs> All right. We will be back next time. Uh, I think it's still kind of up in there, which we're going to be watching. But um, if you grew up in the 2000s and uh, you read some books and they had movies. Yeah. You, you're probably going to be on here. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, thank you all for listening, especially after kind of a month long break we had in between these series. Um, if you are inclined, please give us a review on the podcasting platform of your choice so that other people can join in on the fun. And if you have any feedback for us, you can reach out to us at hottrashunlimited at gmail.com. Joe, did we learn any lessons from this movie? Yeah, I'm trying to think of a bit. Which do you think is more inaccurate? Never having been to Camp Half-Blood because it doesn't exist. Camp Half-Blood or the interior design of the Parthenon in this movie. <laughs> well, one is real. <laughs> <laughs>